Good morning. I, I just enjoy seeing this so much. I'm hesitant to interrupt you all, but, uh, but I'm going to. So uh, go ahead and take, take a seat at this time. We're kind of changing up the order of what we're doing here today. We, we are glad that you are here and sharing in this time. And, and uh, it is our prayer that when you go from this place, uh, you'll be glad that you came as well and spent this time here. I don't know how many of you enjoy science fiction. Um, you know, it's kind of funny how this usually works. When you start talking about science fiction, you know, you kind of have two camps of people. You have the people that just absolutely love science fiction, and if there's a movie coming out and it's science fiction, it's like, okay, I'm going to see that, you know, even before you know much about it. And then you have other people that are just totally turned off to science fiction and don't want anything to do with it. Well, I'm a part of the first camp, and I always have been, ever since uh, Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space, you know, was around. That got me hooked. And... Uh, uh, through all these years, I've, I've uh, always gravitated toward science fiction. Once in a while, there will be a particular type of science fiction that I don't enjoy, but, but by and large, I have. One of the classics, as far as book form, that was written was in 1898 by H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds. Now, a lot of us know that more as a movie, um, but uh, originally it was written in book form. It was presented, and this again is before any movie versions of it came out, it was presented as a dramatic radio broadcast by the Mercury Theater on October 30th, 1938. Okay, so besides you, Kevin, there's very few of us that would have <laughs> been tuned in to the old radio to listen to that, but... Uh, 1938, October 30th, and uh, um, boy, it created quite a stir. You know, here are, the very next day, October 31st, here are some of the newspapers uh, uh, in regards to trying to capture some of the reaction to this. You see the Boston paper here, the headline, radio play terrifies nation, you know, and you see some of the, the other headings over in the right column there. But uh, people were spooked, you know, by this, according to the Boston paper. And the Boston paper was far from being the only paper. The New York Times was talking about the Detroit News and, you know, multiple other ones as well, you know, saying stuff like war skit on radio terrifies nation and terminology like that. Even out on the West Coast, the San Francisco Chronicle Big, bold heading, panic sweeps U.S. as radio stages Mars raid. So this was all just the very next day, you know, after the Mercury Theater, you know, had uh, broadcast this dramatic version of War of the Worlds. Now, you know, some years later, there were some people that studied this, researched it a little further, and they found that some of this was clearly an exaggeration in regards to um, the uh, kind of reaction that was being had. It, it wasn't quite this severe. But all the same, 
there were still things. There were many phone calls and complaints. They, they announced, you know, on the radio broadcast right up front, this is a, a drama, you know, this, this isn't true. They explained that. But for people that tuned in a little bit later, you know, they didn't hear the initial explanations, which was more detailed than just some of the intermittent things that were thrown out, you know, from time to time. And so some people were so irritated that they filed lawsuits against CBS. You know, one of the lawsuits in particular was a $50,000 lawsuit, which may not sound like a whole lot now, but you got to remember, this is 1938. And so that would have been quite a bit more money back in those days. Um, and there were some people who claimed to have heart attacks, you know, or their spouses or loved ones you know, had heart attacks in view of what was being portrayed here. Though, though it really didn't play out on the scale that the newspaper headlines, for whatever their reasoning was, you know, tried to make it sound, it did create some fear within people. The truth be told, we all most likely have fears of one type or another, whether we've told anyone else about them or not. You know, we all have some level of fears that we struggle with. For some people, they may be nonstop phobias, you know, just all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, you know, regarding this, but uh, we do have a pastor on staff that is very scared of spiders. And I'm just going to let you investigate that yourself to try to discover who that is. But, uh, but you know, phobias you know, can be a very real thing for people that are caught up in the middle of that. Other people, it may be something that happens more in waves, you know, little spurts of, but, you know, it's pretty intense when, when the fear strikes, but then it seems to subside for some time. You know, some of us don't want to admit our fears. We might even be embarrassed by our fears, but all the same, they do what they do, you know, in our life. I'm going to level with you about uh, one of the fears I had in my life, okay? So, um, and if this goes over like it did upstairs, um, you know, this might be some new information here. But uh, when I was in high school, um, I probably did not come across as a person, you know, that struggled with fear. And by and large, I didn't. Um, I was always big. Um, I was six foot two, pretty much the size I am now. Well, skinnier though, but, um, you know, when I was in eighth grade. So all during high school, you know, I was six two or six three and, and athletic and good looking and pretty much the <laughs> complete package. And, uh, but, but I had some fears that, that were going on. And namely, those fears involved, you ready for it? Girls, yes, yeah, someone had it. It was girls. I was afraid of girls. Now, I never let on to that, you know, to the girls, but, uh, um, that, but that's a big part of why there was always joking and kidding. You know, there were ways of masking that. But, uh, and I'm just going to give you one example here, okay? When I started dating Colette, it was during football season, my junior year, and she was a cheerleader, a senior. And we were real early on in, in uh, kind of being a thing. And um, 
I knew I wasn't going to be able to see her in person for a couple of days and because of work or something or other. I can't remember what the issue was. But, but uh, so I knew I needed to call her. Someone had told me that girls expect phone calls. And uh, so, so I was like, all right, you know, so I got to make this phone call. And so what I did is I sat down and I wrote out a script of what all I was going to talk about. And, uh, you know, and I anticipated what some of her responses would be. And so then I wrote what, what my response to her response of my comment was going to be. And so, you know, I had, a, and I don't know how much time I spent doing this, but, you know, for a 16-year-old, almost 17 years old, it seemed like a considerable amount of time. I was investing in this. And, and then, of course, there were certain times I thought, okay, it's probably about time to change subjects. So then, you know, as I was writing it, you know, I'd change the subject and, and then follow that line of, of uh, conversation. So time came. I'm sweating bullets. I rotary dialed her uh, on our phone. And, uh, um, of course, it has like one of these 20-foot stretch cords and, you know, went down the steps and closed the door behind me and had the whole script there on one of the steps and uh, started in on it all. And I thought things were, were going really smooth, you know, as I was going through the script and what I anticipated, the conversation. And we got about 40 seconds into it, and I turned the next page, and it was over. That was all I had written. And I'm like 40 seconds into this conversation, you know, and I just thought, man, I've got like a half hour of stuff here. And 40 seconds, and I'm all done. And I just started panicking at that moment. And I don't know what happened next, because I think I blacked out. So, uh, but, but I was. I was, I was scared of girls. Uh, but everyone's got something, you know, that they're scared of. Sometimes, you know, the fears are understandable and totally appropriate. You know, if you're uh, walking by, in, uh, walking through a kitchen or something, and your little toddler nephew or grandchild or, or your own child, you know, is reaching up on the counter and their hand lands right on a steak knife or something like that. You know, fear is going to be a good thing because you're probably going to move faster than you have moved in quite a while, you know, and for good reason. Or if, if that same little child is opening up, you know, if you're a grandparent and that your, your granddaughter, grandson is over and, and uh, crawling around and they've opened up underneath the sink and that's where the cleaning chemicals and everything are. You are going to move faster than what you normally move to get over there. Plus, somebody's going to the hardware store to buy some devices to keep these doors closed, you know, for the next visit. You see, fear can be totally appropriate and can be a good thing. But at the same time, uh, sometimes fear is not so much. It's not healthy, and it can actually paralyze you, and it can cause you to lose focus, you know, in regards to a number of things. So here's what brings all this up. June's prime time, we gave an opportunity for the people that were gathered in this room to list out what their favorite verse was and then give a little explanation. And Rona Miller is the one who picked... Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And instead of me initially explaining why she picked it, um, let's just go ahead and see what she's got to say. I have been familiar with this verse for a long time, but what has really made this verse special to me is a friend um, 
in the most desperate hours of her life, when she was faced suddenly with a terminal diagnosis, she claimed this verse, and she just was able to share with me what comfort it gave her and how she could use this verse throughout her illness, which did end in her death. Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I use this verse frequently. I, I recommend this verse. It is not difficult for me to um, trust God for my salvation, trust the cross, the sacrifice for my salvation. But when it comes to the daily struggles in life, the little things, sometimes I do not want to bother God. I think, uh, I just don't even think of, of uh, praying about those things. But I think that trust is something that I need to um, practice over and over again. Probably many of us do. But I think uh, my trust improves as I practice this. And uh, I just find great comfort in this verse. All right, so here's the verse that Rona picked, and what she read was the New International Version, so that'll be the one that, that we'll go with um, here today. And you see the way it starts off. It says, so do not fear. Now, you, if you spend any time at all in the Bible um, or in discussions and studies relating to the Bible, you probably already know that the most common command that is found in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is that, do not fear. Stated one way or another, fear not, what, you know, whatever. Um, but it's all communicating the same thing, that God does not want us to fear. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this down, and we're going to let the verse speak for itself in regards to why um, or how it's possible for us not to live lives dominated by fear, all right? So looking at it, it says, so do not fear, for I am with you, all right? So there's our first talking point in the verse. The Lord is with us. We can have courage that enables us to overcome fear because the Lord is with us. That's not just a matter of wishful thinking. That's not just some tactic of positive thinking, but but it is a reality that is presented in the scripture. In fact, many very well-known passages of scripture, you know, kind of hinge on this whole idea that we don't need to fear uh, because the Lord is with us. One of the most notable, well-known ones is from Psalm 23. It's verse 4 that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? How's that possible? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, Psalm 23, it's smack dab right in the center of that. Here is one that um, it's implied. It doesn't directly reference fear. But when you look at this, you can't help but, but see why Jesus ends this the way that he does. This is what we call the Great Commission. At the very tail end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, Jesus said this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's what we call the Great Commission. Now, when you stop and you look at that, I mean, that can be pretty intimidating because it's talking about how we need to go. We need to reach out. We need to make contact, which means we may need to be in the process of doing that, stepping beyond our comfort zone. We may need to be going into uncharted territory. And I'm not necessarily, you know, saying into a foreign country, although it very well could end up involving that. But, but even here, more locally, it might involve you initiating conversations that goes against kind of your nature. Now, if you're really an extreme extrovert, you know, that's kind of the way you're wired. And that doesn't intimidate you. And there are some of those, some of those that are represented in this room. But uh, there are certainly a bunch of people in this room that don't fall into that category. And so a verse like this, a command like this, that can be pretty intimidating, right? Well, it's, it's, it's just like Jesus anticipated that. Because right after he gives this great commission, look at the last sentence. Jesus said, and remember... I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, you're not going to be, when you're going, you're not going to be going alone. You will never be alone. As you're representing the Lord and influencing people for the Lord, you are never alone, even though by physical appearances, it may seem like you're alone. You're not. And that's the promise that is embedded in that passage. Here's another one that, again, doesn't use the word fear in it directly, but uh, it very much is a part of the context. John chapter 14 starts out by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. The time frame of all the stuff that we're reading in John chapter 14 is that this is the last full day of Jesus's life. Late on this day is when he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. So he is speaking very clearly to people, uh, to his disciples about things that is um, really starting to stir some emotions and fears and anxiety and stuff like this in them. They don't understand exactly what's going down, but they know something pretty big is about ready to go down. And so it's in the middle of all of that context, Jesus says this in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, he's pretty much just flat out stated he's going to be leaving them. And that was part of why they were distressed so much. But, but he clarifies and he goes, hey, I'm not going to leave you hanging by yourself. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'll come to you. Now, Jesus wouldn't come back and spend another three years with them in a physical form like he had just done, but he was going to come to them uh, through the Spirit eventually, indwelling them, a constant companion throughout their lives. See, the problem with a number of us is that we don't make it a habit of living in the awareness of his continued presence. You know, if we would do that, it would sure help a lot you know, when something invades our life uninvited. Um, but we kind of, we kind of out of sight, out of mind. We kind of don't sometimes for stretches of time, spend time reflecting on that. And that's why when something adverse happens in our life, it can get the upper hand, at least initially, you know, by stirring up fear. 
at times, I know personally, when, when I've spent reading, uh, like I did earlier this year as I'm going through the Bible again, um, the part about when uh, the children of Israel were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, you'll remember that for quite a few years, several decades, in fact, um, God, his presence was represented, whether it was during the day or whether it was at night, it didn't matter. His presence, a steady reminder of his presence, was found in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Remember that? When the children of Israel were encamped, whether it was around uh, you know, Mount Sinai, Sinai or whether it was you know, the next 40 years as they were wandering in the wilderness, you know, all they had to do was look and they would see that continual constant reminder that God was there. And so you know, I found myself personally at times kind of envious, you know, of, of having something like that, you know, so visible as a reminder. But that's not the way, that's not the way it works. And God has provided so many passages of scripture, and this kind of is the reminder right here, you know, so many promises of his continued presence. I think of the disciples when they got in the boat with Jesus and found in Mark chapter 4, and they were going across the Sea of Galilee, which at its widest spot was about seven miles or so wide. And as they were going late in the day, um, a storm hit. And so, of course, you have darkness and all contributing to some of the anxiety. But this storm was no small thing. It was a huge storm. In fact, one of the words that's used in a translation is it was a fierce storm. And it happened without warning. It wasn't like, you know, like you guys when you were coming in today, you could look over here in the northwest and you see the darkness over there. So, you know, there's a very real possibility something might be moving in here and might be getting you know, some rain and all of this stuff here in the next two, three hours or so. But Matthew's gospel says the storm that hit them when they were in this boat, it came without warning. So even the seasoned fishermen were kind of caught off guard. And so people are kind of in a panic stage. They're thinking that the wind and the waves and all of this, that uh, um, they're going to drown. And so where's Jesus? And they find that he's in the back of the boat and he's sleeping on a cushion. And so they wake him up. And the words that are quoted in the text is, don't you care? Don't you care? And something about that we're all going to drown, we're all going to perish. But it's kind of ironic that those were the words, don't you care? Because the reality of the matter is the very reason that Jesus was there in their midst and had been for some time was because he cared. The very reason that he took on human flesh to begin with is because he cared. The whole reason that he was on a trajectory that was going to lead him to Calvary is because he cared. He very much did care. But they were caught up in the moment of the storm and clinging on for dear life. And word is passed around in the boat. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And so the immediate thought is, don't you care? So Jesus gets up and he says, be still. And Mark, along with Matthew's gospel, they say that he was talking to the storm. So the wind, the waves, all of that, the sea calms down. 
in obedience to the Lord. But, you know, I kind of wonder in, in a manner of speaking if perhaps Jesus was partly talking to the disciples too because they were all caught up in this moment that was dominated by fear. And Jesus was kind of telling them as well, be still. This is specifically what he did tell them. Verse 40 says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, both can't rule in the same heart. Faith cannot rule in a person's heart if fear is ruling in a person's heart. And fear cannot rule in a person's heart if faith is ruling in their heart. Both can't rule in the same heart. Part of the takeaway of that passage of Scripture, and there are multiple takeaways, but, but I think one of the key ones goes right along with the very thought of what we're talking about here, you know, inspired by this Isaiah 41 passage, and that is uh, when, G when you've got Jesus in your life, you don't need to live in fear. When Jesus is in your boat, when he's a part of your life, you don't need to fear. And that's the whole point that the prophet Isaiah was recording down in that passage. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. But he says more. He says, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. All right, so another good talking point here is that the Lord is going to strengthen and help us. Now, when you start talking about the Lord strengthening us, one of the immediate passages that comes to my mind and apparently comes to other people's minds too because it was represented in June's primetime as well as far as favorite verses go is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A lot of people gravitate toward that verse. That's a really reassuring, you know, helpful verse. We can do all things through him who strengthens me. And people apply that in a variety of ways. But the immediate context, what it is talking about is contentment. Paul is specifically talking about contentment. That he can make do whether he has plenty or whether he has very little. He, he can handle it. He can be content whatever the circumstances are in his life. And how is that possible? He can do all things through him who strengthens Paul. That's how it's possible. And that's directly what he was talking about. Now, the principle goes beyond that, I believe, because there are too many other passages that, that teach the same concept that God uh, can strengthen and desires to strengthen us in our life. As a matter of fact, one of the phrases that comes to my mind that uh, I find myself reflecting on, you know, whenever something pops up in my life that that, uh, you know, promises to make an attempt to disturb me or to distract me um, is that phrase in the Bible that says that God is an ever-present help in time of need. What a great verse. Let me show you where that came from. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. So there's the word, strength. An ever-present help. And there's the other word that we saw in Isaiah 41, verse 10. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, what's going to be the case? We will not fear. You see, the psalm writer is pretty much saying what God is saying 
in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. What, what the psalm writer is saying here is that even if everything around me seems to be crumbling and caving in, even if everything under me or over me seems to be falling apart, I'm going to be okay. And I don't have to be ruled by fear because God is an ever-present help in times of need. Let me show you a unique verse. In fact, I have a hard time finding another verse that is as unique in regards to what I'm about ready to point out to you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And, and uh, when I write, you know, B or A after a verse, A would mean the first part of the verse. B means the second part of the verse. That's what the letter that gets attached here. So, so uh, this is 5B, the second half. So it's not even a complete verse, but yet there is something really unique found here. It says this, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, there are some simplified translations of the Bible that just take this and translate it, um, I will never leave you, and they just leave it at that. This one at least breaks it into two parts because it actually is broke into two parts uh, in the text. But what makes this special is the first never that is represented here in the NIV is a double negative. Now, there are those to be found from time to time in the New Testament, okay? So it's not extremely rare, but it is uncommon. And it kind of goes against the rule that you and I grew up with because when we took writing classes and what all, when we were in school, one of the things that we were coached in is that, that you don't use double negatives because if you insert a double negative into a statement, one is going to cancel out the other one, okay? So you just don't do that. But see, that's English. This is Greek. That's, this was originally written in Greek. And so it uses a double negative, and the reason that it does that is for the sake of emphasizing the point that's being made. Okay, but I've only told you half of it. The second phrase, never will I forsake you, this one is rare. This is a triple negative. You don't find those. Triple negative. So if you're really going to read this in more of a literal fashion, what God is saying here, God is saying, I will not, will not leave you. I will not, never, I will never forsake you. It's a strong statement that is being made, giving reassurance. And he will never abandon us. He will never turn his back on us. And it's all reinforced with just this one little um, statement that's got five negatives, you know, inserted into it. And what really makes this powerful, as powerful as that is by itself, is when you go to verse 6. So let's see what the very next statement says. So, all right, so right after it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, five negatives there. The word so is a transition saying, based on what was just stated, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I 
will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You see, it's very much tying together. You know, the very thought of what we're looking at in Isaiah 41, verse 10, and, and these other passages like Psalm 46 that we looked at just a moment ago. Because God has promised he will never abandon us. He is a constant companion to us in our life. We can say with confidence, he's our helper. So fear needs not rule the day. It needs not be the issue at play. There's a variety of ways that God helps. You know, I do need to clarify this. Don't interpret that as meaning that, well, God has promised that whenever we find ourselves in a sticky situation, an uncomfortable situation, God is going to, you know, swoop in and deliver us from that situation. He's going to remove whatever the troubles, the trials, or whatever are. No, that's not necessarily what God's saying. He can do that, and on occasion he has done that, but sometimes God doesn't remove um, the hardship, the trial, the struggle, because he has a purpose in allowing it to play out. And that purpose may to be to grow us in our dependence upon him, to relying upon him. It may be to wean us from being too attached to this world. It may be to train us to be people that can extend comfort into the lives of others who are struggling or suffering. You know, there's a variety of purposes that God can use hardships in our life. But the thing is, when we go through any of those hardships, um, we don't go through them alone. Here's one example of how God works in helping. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So you see, God's not swooping in and just delivering us from a situation. But there are a couple of promises here. Whatever that situation is, whatever the temptation is that has come knocking in your life, it will not force you to sin. You will not have... You will not be put in a position where you have no choice but to sin. God has promised. No, it's not going to be beyond what you're able to endure. And then secondly, God's going to provide a way of escape. He's going to provide a way out. The thing is, you need to be looking for it. You know, and it didn't say that it's going to materialize immediately either. All right, so, so this is like one of the ways, an example of how God can and does help in our life. All right, one last time, back to our main verse. So, we do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so the third talking point here is that he will uphold us with his right hand. The idea of upholding is kind of an interesting concept here. Uh, it means that he's going to sustain us. That's a good, a good word to insert here in your understanding. He will sustain us. It, it carries with it the idea of God getting a grip on you and on me. He's going to get a grip on us that enables 
him to hold us up in the middle of whatever the turbulence, whatever the storm, whatever the adversity we're going through. He sustains us by grabbing a hold of us. And you know what? Sometimes in life, that's exactly what we need. Sometimes when we go through a time of hardship, and we all will, didn't Jesus say that? You know, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, he stated it very matter-of-factly. Um, there's going to be times in life that you're going to go through some hardship. And, and many of you in here have been, you know, through junk in your life, whether it be a major illness, whether it be the sudden unexpected death of a loved one. Um, you know, you've been through some adversity. And sometimes, man, it just really kind of knocks the wind out of you definitely, but almost knocks you off your feet. But you see, God's sustaining you in that. You know, but about once you get your equilibrium back, you turn and boom, you get blindsided with something perhaps totally unrelated. And it's like no sooner do you seem to kind of get your balance and to recover from one adversity you're dealing with, and then all of a sudden you've got another one right in your face. That's, as they say, that's life. And if you haven't gone through a period of time like that, you know, you live long enough and you will go through a time like that. It happens. But you see, that's where this particular part of the promise that God is making is so critical and important is because he's got a grip on us. He's help, helping in the middle of all the adversity and the storm of it all. He's helping to sustain us, to hold us up. And in fact, all of this is important enough that it's repeated again. For some of you that got your Bible or your Bible app um, open, you know, look down at verse 13 of Isaiah 41. You're going to find almost verbatim the very same thing being stated again that was stated in verse 10 that we've been focusing our attention on. And again, that's another way of emphasizing a truth is by stating it over again, and the prophet Isaiah does that very thing here. There's a special promise that is found in this verse. The Lord is with you. He will strengthen and help you. He will uphold you. It's because of all of that, the fear doesn't have to have the upper hand. Fear doesn't have to rule the day. Everything you see there, it all comes down to one simple question. Let's not make Isaiah 41 verse 10 more complicated than what it is. It all comes down to one very simple question. Can you trust God? Because you see what God is saying here. But the real question at play here is can you trust him? All this that he's saying, all this that he's promising. In many respects, that's the fundamental question of life. Can you trust God? If the answer is yes, then you can face the worst of what life has to offer. If the answer is no, then you've got a tough road to hoe ahead of you. And that's just being frank. If you can't trust God... You're still going to go through adversity. You're going to go through all those difficulties. But you're going to go through all that without the reassurance and the promises that he makes. 
How many times have you heard someone make a believer, a Christian, how many times have you heard them make the statement, I don't know how people go through stuff like this without God in their life? You ever heard anyone say that before? Absolutely. In fact, many of you have made that statement before. I've totally lost track the number of times I've heard people say that. I don't know how people go through stuff like this without God. Sometimes it'll be in the context of, of cancer and some of the treatments or surgeries and involved in the treatment of cancer. Sometimes it might be in regards to the death of a loved one. You know, the death of a spouse, the death of a child. You know, and, and it's just, they're doing everything they can do just to hang on. And they'll say, I still know how people without faith, without God, deal with stuff like this. And boy, that is a good question. And maybe that has something to do with, you know, some of the despair and depression, some of the substance abuse and stuff like that that people fall into and trying to cope with things in their life. But this is what God has promised us. If you allow fear to dominate your life, then your life is going to be miserable. But the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. Isaiah had said something else that I want to make sure this is on your radar in regards to this subject and what Isaiah says. Chapter 26, verse 3. Man, what an excellent verse. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. That's why I said it all comes down to that. Can you trust God? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Really want to encourage you to lock in on that teaching. Have you ever noticed how people at a distance look really small? You ever noticed that before? Especially um, one fellow upstairs uh, today was telling me that, that he was able to, with a friend of his, you know, lock in on a couple of tickets for chief games. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing I'm kind of trying to deal with. Man, I love having a quarterback that can do the kind of things that uh, our quarterback can do. But the thing about this I don't love are the ticket prices. <laughs> they have changed. And, uh, um, but, you know, when, when I've gone to, to the games at Arrowhead and, and even a couple years ago had an opportunity to go down to Dallas you know, to that humongous stadium there, you know, and I always find myself, you know, the vast majority of the time up in the nosebleed section because that fits more with my bank account. But uh, um, when you're up there and you're looking down on the field, you ever notice, for those of you that have gone to the big stadiums, how small those players are. If you held your hand out like this, it'd be like, man, that guy is like Jones, that defensive lineman that's becoming a defensive end. He's about that big, right? But then if you go to their training camp, you know, which, which I can't afford that. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. 
Um, and you go there, and you get a lot closer to some of these players. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, Jones isn't this big. Jones is this big. Man, this guy's a giant. You know, he's a man's man. He's huge. And so are a whole lot of these other players. But, th but that's kind of the thing. From a distance, they seem so small. And the reason I bring that up is, is because, unfortunately, that's kind of the way it works with God as well. Sometimes if we allow distance to develop in our relationship with God, if we kind of slack off in stuff like this, what we're doing right now, this morning, you know, or just getting our nose in this book as a regular discipline or spending time in prayer. And, you know, if stuff like that kind of falls by the wayside and we just get caught up in other things, whether it be hobbies or our career or whatever, you know, it's in moments like that, that, that God can, some distance can start to, and God isn't as big as what we remember him being. But it never fails. There's going to be some kind of adversity that's going to barge its way into our life. There's going to be some hardship, some trial that we're going to find ourselves experiencing. And if in a moment like that, God seems about this big and this trial is barging its way in your life, what is going to go on in here? What's going to go on right here? Fear is going to rule the day. Because what kind of a match is God to this problem that has invaded my life? And that's why it's such, of such critical importance that, that we are consistent, that we are diligent, you know, in continually seeking God and seizing the special privilege of having a personal relationship with him. You know, it's kind of like the husband and wife that are driving down in their car and, and uh, you know, the, the, the wife, you know, they've been married for 30 years or whatever. And the wife says, you know, remember how we used to sit right next to each other whenever we went out on a date? And the husband says, well, I didn't move. You know, she's, <laughs> she's the one that screwed. Some of you maybe don't know what a bench seat is, you know, but, uh, um, you know, but that's kind of the way it is with God. It's, God's not going to abandon you. He has promised he will not abandon you. But if we become slack in our pursuit and the discipline of our walk with him, then fear is going to get the upper hand in our life. And the thing is, it doesn't need to be that way. That's the good news of what the Bible teaches us. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. And I'm thankful for the good news of looking at verses like Isaiah 41, verse 10, and the reassurance of knowing that, uh, that you're there and you care and you've got a grip on us and you will sustain us. You will help us. You will strengthen us in whatever it is that we find ourselves going through. And for some right now, yeah, it's true. They're going through something. And uh, it's not pleasant. But it's reassuring, Lord, that we don't have to do it alone. 
you're there every step of the way. And we thank you for the strength that that gives in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?